Migraine Canada presents Migraine Talks with Dr. Elizabeth Leroux. A podcast to learn, share, and live better. Please remember, the content of this podcast does not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Discuss all decisions regarding your care and treatment options with your healthcare provider. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Elizabeth Leroux, headache neurologist in Montreal and your host for this Migraine Talk podcast. In today's podcast, we will look at two very different migraine stories and see how we could increase and improve migraine care in our country so everyone with migraine can find relief. These stories are not true people. They are fictional stories that I've put together based on different stories that I've seen in my office. And they do represent um, uh, the journey of people with migraine uh, over years and years of attacks. Let's start with our first story. The first story is the story of Jennifer. Jennifer started to have migraine when she was a little girl. Um, and she had very clear attacks even at the time. She would get pale, tired, she would go to rest, and then after a few hours, she would eventually get better. Her parents did not know exactly what was going on with her and just assumed that maybe she had, you know, normal headaches. Jennifer's parents uh, had strong convictions that uh, medications were dangerous, and so they prefer homemade uh, therapies, alternative medicine, and natural products. So Jennifer grew up in, a, in a, a family where medicine was seen a bit with suspicion and that uh, where pills were potentially dangerous and so on. So during her teenage, she continued to have migraines. Uh, they were pretty disabling. She would sometimes uh, miss school because of them. And she would try different things uh, uh, to break the uh, migraine attacks. But still, she was impaired. In her young adulthood, well, she was still having migraines and she was using alternative medicine. And sometimes she would get a bit of relief, but more often than not, she wouldn't. So after having her second child, uh, she could not rest as much because she had to take care of her young family. And she got fed up and she says, you know what? Um, I've tried all those things, you know, that I could with natural supplements and acupuncture and pillows and heat and cold and, and oils and... I'm just, I just cannot do this anymore. I think I'm going to try and go to the doctor. So that's what she did. She goes to the doctor and just unfortunately, the doctor does not take her very seriously. Uh, and when she explains all her attempts with alternative medicine, she could see that the doctor looked at her a bit of a different way and, and thought maybe, or you're that type of person, right? So maybe there was a bit of a, a bit of judgment here. But nevertheless, so the doctor says, okay, well, you know, you have uh, migraine and I'm going to give you these pills. And so she said, well, what is migraine exactly? And uh, shouldn't I get like a CT scan or something? And the doctor said, okay, yeah, we'll do a CT scan um, and then come back and see me, try those pills and uh, we'll see how you're doing. So Jennifer does the CT scan. As expected, there's nothing abnormal on it because migraine is, is completely invisible on, on CT scan and MRIs. And uh, she tries pills, but, you know, she was scared of the pills. So what happened is that she tried them too late in her attacks. And if you listen to our other podcast about the acute management of migraine, 
one of the key principles to treat a migraine attack is to treat early. But she didn't know. So she tried one pill, didn't work. She tries another, maybe she has side effects. And uh, she comes back to the doctor. The doctor says, well, you know what? Your CT is normal. Um, you're, you only have migraine. Thank God there's no tumor. And um, well, those pills didn't work. Um, and uh, maybe tried other pills. Same thing happens. She comes back. Nothing works. And then the doctor at some point says, you know, well, I think we've tried what we can. I'm not sure I can do anything else for you. And that's it. Uh, so you're going to have to kind of manage. So uh, in the end, you know, she said, well, you know, okay, fine. I'm going to try some other alternative stuff. And so she goes on the internet and finds all kinds of, you know, quick fixes and miracle cures and promises. And she, she, uh, she's ready to spend money. She, she's ready to actually, she's at risk for financial abuse and uh, to fall into some scam because, because she's suffering. She's in a bad place. She has frequent migraines. She has two little children. Um, and, and she just, she's just not receiving proper care. So that's the sad story of Jennifer. And we all agree that not everyone goes this way. But this is one example of things that can happen uh, if you live with migraine and you don't receive appropriate care. The second story is the story of Michael. So Michael started having migraines uh, when he was a teen and he would get them especially uh, when he was stressed out for exams or maybe if he was doing a hockey practice and um, he was pushing uh, through and, and very uh, and he was very tired. In Michael's family, migraine was seen as a weakness. So he was told that, you know, it's just a headache and you have to push through. So that's what he did. So he got very used to endure and go to the hockey practice anyway and to try to do the exam the best he could. Um, so he just learned that migraine is not a serious problem. It's something you have to deal with. It cannot be treated with uh, medical options and you have to, to manage with this. So as an adult, well, what did he do? He pushed through. Um, he started working and then he developed this routine where, you know, the migraines would put him uh, down for a few hours or a few days. And then he would just not talk about it, catch up uh, and try to just manage. And of course, what happened? You know, he wanted to uh, work longer hours to try to catch up. So he started drinking a lot of caffeine. So he fell into kind of caffeine dependency. Uh, he developed very significant sleep issues because he was so stressed all the time. He was also very irritable because he had frequent migraines. Nobody, you know, he was not talking to anyone about it. So he felt tired, frustrated and irritable. Um, and at some point, Michael ended up in the emergency department with a bad attack where he was throwing up and very sick. Uh, and so the doc said, well, you know, it looks like you have migraine. Maybe you should actually see a doctor to talk about it. So... He said, okay, well, why not? Uh, let's go to the doctor. The problem is that when Michael saw the doctor, the doctor said, how many days per month you have a migraine? But for, for Michael, who lived with this for years and years, he, for him, a migraine was just the worst of the worst attacks. So he said, oh, maybe four or five days. So the doctor didn't look further and said, okay, four or five days. Uh, so I'm going to give you some acute therapy and that's it. 
but he did not investigate that, in fact, Michael had 20 days of migraine per month. It's just that for him, the smaller headaches were just little headaches. But those were little headaches with light sensitivity and some mild nausea and not wanting to eat. So they were just small migraines. So he downplayed it himself without knowing it. Um, the other thing is that the doctor was busy. And so he did not look into Michael's sleep habits or uh, caffeine intake. And so those were all missed opportunities to work on some lifestyle stuff to make Michael better. So what happens? So Michael tries different things. Maybe he finds a triptan that works well, but then he starts using it very often, goes back to the doctor, and the doctor just, you know, says, well, okay, it's, 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 uh, the triptan works, just use the triptan, and, and that's it. Um, so he, he does not evaluate the frequency of the attacks. There's no preventive proposed and no appropriate counseling. And so Michael just goes on and on and, and, and takes his triptans and eventually falls into medication overuse. At which point, he goes to see another doctor and the doctor says, but what are you, what are you doing? You brought yourself, you brought this up on yourself. Uh, you're too, taking way too many triptans. So just you have to stop the triptans and come back to me when it's done. And that's very difficult to do, you know, so, so decreasing triptans is not an easy thing, especially if you have frequent or chronic migraine. So the story of Michael is very different from the story of Jennifer, right? But it is also a story of someone who just grew up with a particular view of what migraine is, and for that reason, delayed care and when assessed by a physician was not assessed properly and was not offered a global approach for migraine therapy. So that was also a lot of missed opportunities there. And so we're not surprised if Michael and Jennifer are not particularly impressed with medical management of migraine and may actually try to find other options to treat their migraines. These are not very happy stories, right? And of course, there are people with migraine who are properly managed and who get proper care. But I just wanted to share these because in my practice, every week, I see, I still see sad stories like these, where I tell myself, why on earth was this person not better treated before, right? And these stories also underline the stigma that bears on people with migraine and also the reluctance of some people with migraine to use medical approaches because of their perception of what migraine is and what medications are and how, you know, how um, dangerous they could be, maybe. So now I'm just going to go into a bit of a, uh, a list of things that these stories told us and how they show us the way to improvement, how they illustrate how we could actually find ways to make things better for people who live with migraine in Canada. Let's get started. The first thing that we learned is that migraine often, not always, but often starts at a young age, sometimes in childhood, when 10% of children, little boys and little girls, have migraine. Some migraine also starts during teenage, especially for young women who start having their menstrual cycles. And then in adulthood, usually migraine still is there. And in the 30s and 40s, when people are fully productive and have sometimes, you know, work, families, uh, different occupations, and start taking care of their elderly parents, 
that's where migraine is at its fullest and at its most disabling. So what should we do, right? Well, there's an opportunity to just raise awareness of what migraine is in school, right? In school and high school. So teachers have an idea of what that is and school nurses have an idea of what that is. So children can be told the proper things about migraine and start managing in a proper way. So not be told that's because they, they don't want to go to school or that they're weak or that they're, you know, they're, or it's nothing. Um, because migraine is not nothing, right? And, and think children should actually learn that. And their parents uh, should al also learn what migraine is. I've heard stories about parents, actually, who see their children suffering and they, they want to find a cause. And because the cause of migraine is not that clear or not that easy to explain, a lot of parents are trying to find other diseases, other conditions that could explain why their children have those recurrent headaches. So there should be better understanding of migraine for children and teenagers. And that's actually completely feasible with programs uh, that could be diffused uh, through our education system. Another thing that we learned is that sometimes um, patients are actually very uh, concerned by medications and partly because migraine is not considered as a medical condition. So why should it be treated with pills, right? Um, but no one really wonders why we should treat diabetes or asthma or uh, hypothyroidism with medications. But for migraine, there's this conception that migraine is, you know, it's not a disease, it's not a condition, it should be cured or fixed or managed otherwise than with medications. So I think to, to address that, doctors and healthcare providers have to be fully honest about the limitations of our treatments. We have to disclose the risk of potential side effects. But on the patient side, there has to be also some opening to say, let's try this medication and see how it works. Maybe there's going to be side effects, but maybe it's going to work. So I think it's really a matter of communication between doctors and patients. Another thing that we learned from these stories is that the stigma that bears on migraine people leads to a lack of therapy. So many people are just pushing through when they could get better with appropriate care. So I'm not trying here to say that everyone with migraine should get a full medical evaluation and, and three types of pills. That's not true. Uh, some people with migraine, including myself, um, have very occasional attacks and will respond very well to easy therapies and will never need prevention or maybe will never need like hardcore options. But I think everyone who does live with migraine should at least have an idea of what migraine is and what the causes of migraine are, or at least what we know about it, and just a bit of an understanding and view of the global approach for migraine, which includes lifestyle, acute meds, and preventive options. Just to know that if things get rough, and if the attacks start to become more common, more frequent, there are things that can be done. So more education really definitely needed. All right, so now I want to address the difficult experiences with physicians. I do hear about this in my practice. People just tell me really like this doctor didn't look at me, didn't listen, didn't examine me, uh, didn't ask me questions, just, just discarded me. 
told me there was nothing else to do, did not want to refer me to a neurologist, um, told me it was my fault, um, blamed me for this and that, did not listen to my concerns and side effects. I hear it all, right? So my goal here is not to uh, defend <laughs> all my colleagues, but just if I can provide, provide two explanations to this. The first is that migraine and headache medicine in general are not taught a lot in medical schools. Um, physicians, especially GPs and family practitioners, have tons of stuff to learn, and migraine is underrepresented. So they hear a lot about hypertension, diabetes, depression. They do not hear enough about migraine. And let's face it, migraine is a little bit complicated. You know, its, it's causes are complicated. There are many of them. The treatment options are complicated. But that's no excuse. But I just want to say that uh, it's possible that the physician that you, you've been meeting is not aware of all the options and the causes and what we know about migraine. The second thing is that physicians are just too busy. And in 10 minute, 20, minute, 20 minutes or 10 minutes, there's a limit to what they can do. And entering a discussion about migraine is likely to take time because you have to explain the causes, the options. And of course, once you start this conversation, what happens is that the person starts asking questions, very relevant and legitimate questions like, should I drink coffee? How should I exercise? You know, what about food triggers? What about my period? Should I stop the pill? You know, there's no end to these questions. And the time of GPs is very, very limited. Okay, so now that we've said that there's this, this problem, right? That migraine is difficult to address uh, by physicians. And that leads to sometimes a bit of frustration, for very legitimate frustrations from people. Well, first, <laughs> a solution is obvious. We should increase the time spent during family medicine residency and neurology residency about migraine. So instead of having two or three hours of teaching, they have more and they have just a better exposure and, and learn to master this better. Because once you start taking care of migraine patients and see and how rewarding that can be, of course, you become better at it. And then, and then patients are happy, and that's great. So education of physicians is key. But then even if they know what to do, even if the physician knows how to manage migraine and what to prescribe, still, they won't have the time in their busy practices to engage in too deep counseling. Imagine, just imagine for fun, if the endocrinologists who take care of diabetes, um, if they had to do one-on-one, -on -one, sit with their patients, and explain to them, okay, this is glucose, this is the pancreas, this is insulin, this is uh, how to inject insulin. They cannot do this. It's too, it takes too much time. But for diabetes, we have diabetes educators. So nurses, pharmacists, nutritionists, who can actually answer the questions and give people the, the information they need to manage diabetes. Migraine is a problem of the brain. The consequences on someone's life are significant. Triggers are everywhere, right? So there's a lot of things that you need to learn when you, li when you live with frequent migraines. Once again, I'm not saying if you have one every blue moon, but if you have a lot of them, 
there's a lot of questions and practicalities that impact your decisions. You know, can I drink this? Can I plan this party? Can I travel? And so on. So we should have multidisciplinary care migraine programs and we should have migraine educator programs, um, both for basic migraineurs, so people who have a frequent uh, episodic migraine and at the more advanced levels for people with chronic migraine. What else did we hear in those sad stories? Uh, we heard about going to the emergency department and I have discussed with a lot of patients, but also patient advocates. And this is something that scores really high on the priority list. Um, the experience of going to the eMERGE is not always a fun one uh, for, for many reasons. So first, because, you know, migraine is not prioritized in the eMERGE um, and you may spend hours and hours in a fully lit and noisy hallway waiting to be seen. So I think we can understand that because migraine is, is not life-threatening um, and uh, sometimes, you know, eMERGE docs are just completely overloaded with emergencies that are life-threatening. But still, you know, when I, when I did my fellowship in France, we had a special emergency place uh, where uh, people with migraine and headaches were sent that was dimly lit, right, quiet, fresh, the nurses were trained to manage people with migraine. And this made like a huge difference on how people were treated for migraine. So I think, I think we should address that a little bit to have a migraine room in the eMERGE or a place or just a protocol if someone has migraine, uh, how to manage this person. The other problem is the stigma, once again, is that people with migraine are sometimes, you know, stigmatized in the eMERGE and some of them are just blamed uh, that why are they there? Um, I think if someone with migraine goes to the emergency, it's because it's the last resort. Nobody likes to go to the emergency department. Um, and it's also an opportunity to detect people who actually need an optimization of care. And people who end up in the emergency, usually either they have severe attacks, and so they need um, options for their severe attacks. And you can listen to our other podcast about this topic or they have frequent migraines or chronic migraine, they don't know what to do anymore, and they, they do need a global care a global care and approach. So there is a missed opportunity here to detect people who have migraine and go to the eMERGE, and, and maybe they should be referred for proper care. So another thing is that we did not discuss this really in the stories, but uh, th that's the, the next chapter of these stories could be the following, is that um, Jennifer and Michael would try one or two preventives, maybe three, and then be left to, there's nothing else we can do. That's not true. Um, we have new options to manage migraine prevention now. Uh, we have Botox, we have CGRP antibodies, we have other devices. Um, so if you've tried one or two or three preventives even, it doesn't mean that you're short of options. And I think family physicians should actually be aware of this and should refer appropriately. But once you actually want to get to these new options, coverage has to be addressed. It means that some insurance companies and public companies, uh, public insurance companies, uh, sometimes will not cover new therapies because they're more expensive, of course, or because they're new. And that's something where we want to lead efforts uh, because 
these options are not for everyone, but they can change the lives of many people. So they should be accessible with criteria, maybe not, maybe not every, maybe you have to try other things before that's fully fair. But if you have tried and if it didn't work, and if you're still disabled by migraine, you should have access to high level options. I mean, it's, it's just, It's just, it doesn't make sense that we have the science to help people, but that the treatments are not covered. Of course, they should be uh, priced as a, at a price that's reasonable. So this is all the game of how we cover medicines in Canada. Um, and, and just to be very full and square, I do believe that the Canadian system is way better than the American systems for gazillion reasons. Um, but we, we, we do have to kind of make our point here and say migraine is a neurological disease. It is common. It is disabling. It is diverse. It, it touches everyone, you know, young people, older people, men, women of all ethnic backgrounds. And so we should have access to all the care, behavioral, advanced, doctors, competent people, so people live better lives. That's really the goal of Migraine Canada, is to promote um, awareness, education, and support so people can advocate for themselves and find the care they need. Because in the 70s, we didn't have a lot, but now we do. So hopefully, I hope that I inspired you to, um, if you've had bad stories, if you've had a difficult journey so far, if you've been stigmatized, if you've had side effects... Um, if you've been discouraged to say, well, maybe there's better out there. Maybe there's something for you that could work. And maybe in five years from now, the system in Canada can be better for people living with migraine. So this was a fun podcast. This was a fun podcast for me to do because I'm, I'm very passionate about this, as you could hear. And I, I really believe that there are solutions But we need, we have a public healthcare system, so we need people to get together and to advocate for it. Um, and that's the only way that things are going to improve. All right, my friends, I hope you found this podcast interesting. Uh, and I hope that you find relief for your headaches. And until our next podcast, be well. Migraine Canada is a not-for-profit organization. We improve the lives of Canadians affected by migraine and other headache disorders through awareness, support, education, advocacy, and research. This podcast does not replace a medical advice. Always consult your treating healthcare provider to make any medical decision. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, listen to the 11 others from our 2021 series available on your favorite platform. Remember that you'll find plenty of additional information on MigraineCanada.org. Is there a topic you'd like to hear about in the future? If you have suggestions or feel like sharing your thoughts, please email us at info at MigraineCanada.org and don't forget to check our website. We'd love to hear from you. 